the trouble, the trouble, the 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 trouble, trouble. Here's what happened on May 31st, 1999, Memorial Day, the day most people are happy to have a day off work, barbecuing or shopping. Unless you work at the retail place where people who had a day off or shopping at. <laughs> but anyway, on that day, two men and a woman were cruising around Kansas City, Kansas, looking to get high, which is hard work. They picked up a fourth person whose name was Rick from a known crack house. Rick got in the car. He didn't have drugs, but he knew how to get money for drugs. Rick told them where to go to get some fast cash. They turned into the Walmart parking lot in Johnson County, Kansas. Circled the lot a few times. Rick saw a lady with a kid and a purse. Now's the time. Rick jumped out of the car and snatched at the purse. The lady's name was Tamara Shear. Tamara fought back against Rick and tried to keep her purse. But during the struggle, her cell phone came loose. Rick grabbed it, hopped back in the car, and sped away. Tamara's knees were scraped up bad from the fight, but other than that, she was okay. She comforted her daughter, who was pretty shaken up by the whole thing, then tried to call for help, but her cell phone was gone. The crime is classified as aggravated robbery. A man was arrested for that crime, and he went to prison for 17 years. His name is Richard Jones, but he didn't do it. For one, I've never been to Johnson County. I don't know where this Walmart at. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you ever go by Rick? Nope. From WBZ Chicago, this is The Trouble. I'm Shannon Casey. On The Trouble, I talk to people who've been in serious trouble or are still in it. We all have someone who looks like us. When I lived in Chicago, if I was downtown and dressed pretty nice, I hear a few people throughout the day call me Common. You know, the Oscar, Grammy, BET award winning conscious rapper with a flow from Chicago. This is when I was thinner. Now I might be mistaken for DJ Khaled or somebody, but <laughs> but everybody has a doppelganger, right? Is that how you say that word, doppelganger? But what if the person who looks just like you does something really bad, and then you walk in the room and get blamed for it? Then God Common is a pretty non-controversial guy, even boring. And for the most part, a doppelganger running amok is an irrational fear that's probably never going to happen. But for Richard Jones, it did. I got 19 years. And like when they gave me that 19 years, I just started thinking about everything in life, period, as far as like the people in my life, just everything. And I knew that it was a strong possibility, man, you know what I'm saying, that everything that was a part of my life was, was not about to be a part of my life anymore period. Richard's story begins in Kansas City, Missouri. What was it like growing up in Kansas City, Missouri? Hmm. The neighborhood is pretty much the average neighborhood that a lot of times, like especially through the summertime, people come through, turn the fire hydrant on, you know, all the kids in the middle of the street. 
I think my biggest problem when I was a child was just not having my father around because he was in prison. Richard said he didn't know what his father went to prison for. He never asked him. They used to go visit him in Jefferson City when he was a kid. But once his mother and father got divorced, they didn't go down to visit him as much. I never really seen a father in the house. You know, I didn't have anyone to tell me what I could and couldn't do at that time. So I started making bad decisions early, man. So, yeah. What happened? What What were some of the early decisions? Oh, man, you know, stealing cars, man. You know, I, I had that bad, you know, so I like to drive, man. So I used to steal cars. What age? 12, 13 years old. And so it was like, by the time I started realizing, you know, what I could and couldn't do and what I would and wouldn't do, you know, that's that's when it started becoming a problem. What was the wouldn't? You, you get what I'm saying? Like, you would steal cars, but you wouldn't. I wasn't breaking houses. You, <laughs> I didn't like breaking down, man. I had friends in the neighborhood. We used to run around and just get into things. I mean, I'm not proud of it, but, you know, that's just something that happened. No, I, it's, we broke in our elementary school once. I remember uh, they had, like, little caulk hey, around. man, you be going all out, man. You hear me? Yeah, I did it too, man. School. Yeah, I, just, I, guess, I guess it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, just let you know, man, that you don't, you don't have step. <laughs> what did it culminate to? Um... I went to prison when I was 19, man. Uh, I was going in and out of town, and uh, I ended up catching a, a weed case, and they sent me to prison for it. 19 years old? Yeah. How long? They gave me 15 months for it, so I did 13 months, about a year. What was that like, like the first time you're 19? Well, I mean, it really didn't move me because I was going the path everybody else I knew was going, so it really didn't matter. You know, I felt like, you know, I was getting stripes. And that's sad mm. because a 19-year-old is not supposed to be thinking that prison is okay. You didn't even look at 15 months. It's no big deal. It was nothing because I had seen people around me that had years. So it was like 15 months. I couldn't even say that when I went to prison. <laughs> you talking to somebody, you don't even know this person got like 30, 40 years. And you talking about you got 15 months. I mean, they ain't trying to hear that, man. They don't yeah. want to see you go home. So you got out. Were you thinking about, like, what I want to do with the rest of my life at that time? No. A lot of people feel like prison is structured to make you better, but that's not true. Prison doesn't breed change. Yeah. I thought I wasn't doing anything wrong. I thought I was okay. Did another circumstance happen? Did more trouble happen? Uh, Yeah, I ended up getting in trouble again. What happened the second time? Well, I went to jail. I got five years in prison for a second-degree robbery. You know, and this is something that I did. But really, it makes me look at things differently because it's like everything that I went through prior to going to prison for a crime I didn't commit. I feel like that prepared me for what I did go through, Hmm. because if I had been incarcerated prior to that, I don't know how I would have handled that. I probably would have broke, you know. So Richard gets out of prison for the second time. He goes home. Then May 31st, 1999 happens. Remember that day? The crime I told you about earlier, involving a guy named Rick? So that happens. A year later, Richard finds out he's the suspect. Take me back to April, April 3rd, year 2000. You know, at this time, I was on parole in Missouri. 
Okay. For the five years? For the five years. Mm-hmm. And so they had violated me for, you know, smoking weed. I had got some dirty ways. They violated me and sent me to a drug treatment, 120-day drug treatment. And uh, the day I was supposed to get out released from the drug treatment, on my papers where it would say detainer, it had Buchanan County. And I'm like, where is Buchanan County? They're like, you, you're in Buchanan County. I'm like, well, why does Buchanan County have a, a detainer on me? And they's like, we don't know. You have to wait for them to come get you. So they came, got me. I asked them what the detainer was about. And they said, well, they want to question you about an aggravated robbery out of Johnson County, Kansas. And I'm in the back of the sheriff's car and, and I'm asking them what's the details of, of this case. And they don't know. And so they was like, well, you're just going to have to go to court in the morning and sign the extradition papers and go over to Kansas and, and figure it out. And that's what I did. What thoughts are in your mind in the back of that? That sheriff's car. I can't figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about, like, man, I'm, like, literally racking my brain, man, trying to figure out what they are talking about. Because as soon as they said it to me, I'm like, nah, aggravated robbery. I'm like, what are you, like, I just didn't, I had no idea where it came from. You know, I'm questioning myself, but I know, even though I'm questioning myself, I know for a fact I, I wasn't a part of it because I'm like, if I did something, I know if I did it or not. Is that, like, a relief in your mind, or is that, like, a... Oh, let's see what's going to happen with this. I, I really wasn't worried about it because I knew that the truth was going to come out. I didn't know it was going to last this long. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I thought that once they got me to court, they see me, who I am. They're like, okay, well, you're the wrong guy. Release. It didn't happen like that. When did you find out what the actual charges were? I think the next day or the day after that. And uh, I had went to my preliminary. They appointed me a lawyer. Me and a lawyer sat down and talked. And that's when he told me, you, you wanted for aggravated robbery in Johnson County, Kansas, that occurred on May 31st of 1999 at a Walmart on Roe Avenue. Uh, three guys and a, and a woman was in a, a gray Chrysler Baron. They went through a Walmart parking lot. Well, prior to that, two of the guys in the, in the female picked another guy up in a Kansas City, Kansas neighborhood looking for drugs. They didn't have any kind of money. So the guy that they picked up said, hey, I know where to get some money. Let's go to the Walmart. They go to the Walmart. They circle the parking lot a few times. And then the guy who they had picked up, named Rick, he jumped out the car and tried to snatch a woman's purse while her daughter's with her. She fought for her purse. She ended up keeping her purse. And he got a cell phone that fell out of her purse. And in the process of him wrestling with her, she fell and scraped both of her knees. That's what made it aggravated robbery. Hmm. And I said, you know, before we go any further, I'm, for one, I've, I don't, I've never been to Johnson County. I don't know where this Walmart at. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you ever go by Rick? Nope. And he was like, well, that's what they're charging you with. I said, charge him? I thought they was just wanting to question me. He was like, no, nah, they, they're, they're going to charge you. And that's where it went. What's your reaction? Man, I can't even describe it because I'm like, I didn't take it serious. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, there's no way possible. Like, what are y'all talking about? So I, it wasn't like a problem with me because I just felt like the truth was going to come out. So what was the truth? What were you doing on the day, what, May 31st, 1999? May 31st of 1999. See, some things I don't even remember happened last week. Mm-hmm. But I knew exactly where I was at because my daughter's mother, her birthday is May 30th. And May 31st of 1999 was Memorial Day. We barbecued two days in a row. 
So I knew where we was at, you know. <laughs> and so everybody pretty much knew where I was at. You had witnesses. Yeah, I had alibi witnesses. What was the physical evidence against you? None. Eyewitness testimony. No fingerprints, no DNA, nothing. No security guard cameras, any of that. They didn't have any of that. Our eyes and our memories tend to be unreliable. I learned that eyewitness misidentification has played the role in over 75% of exonerated prisoner cases, making it the leading factor of wrongful convictions. When I was reading over Richard's case, there were some things that stood out to me. Red flags, you might say. For one, the victim, Tamara Shear, said that the man who robbed her had a tattoo on his left arm. Richard didn't have tattoos at the time of the crime. And then there was the photo lineup. I don't know if you've seen the, the photo lineup, but the photo lineup is suggestive. It's very, very strongly suggestive. And the judge denied me and told me that the photo lineup wasn't suggestive. I got a copy of the photo lineup. I'm looking at it right now. Or I'm trying to look at it. It's pretty blurry. Richard said suggestive. He even said very, very strongly suggestive. And from this picture I'm looking at, very, very strongly may even be an understatement. Before the detective made up the lineup, the victim, Tamara Shear, told the police on two separate occasions that she didn't get a good look at her attacker's face and wouldn't be able to identify him. But she described him as best she could remember, a Hispanic or tan-skinned man. The Walmart security guard also described the suspect as a Hispanic or light-skinned African-American man. In the photo lineup that detectives put together, there were six faces to choose from. Out of those six faces, there was only one light-skinned face, Richard Jones. Guess who the witnesses picked? But what else can they do if they sit there showing these witnesses a photo lineup of the description supposed to be a light-skinned black male or Mexican male with long hair, and I'm number one, and everybody else from two to five ain't even light-skinned and don't even have long hair or anything. Of course, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to pick him, you know what I mean? So it's like they wasn't really given many options anyway, man. To me, I feel like they was orchestrated. Months later, on the day of the preliminary hearing, Tamara Shear was the only witness present. This was the first time she had ever seen Richard Jones. I was sitting in an orange jumpsuit and handcuffs and shackles in the courtroom. And they asked her, do you see the man who robbed you in this courtroom? And she said, yeah, and pointed at me. And they said, how do you know this? And she said, because when I saw him, a cold chill ran through my body. That's what she stuck with. So you you obviously don't take a plea. Did they try to get you to take a plea on this one? Yeah, they tried to. What was that decision? Uh, They tried to give me one year probation. And you didn't take it? Nope. Now, when you heard that, one year probation... But you knew you didn't, you know. That was the kicker right there. (laughs) I know I didn't do that, you know. And so even them doing that, that encouraged me more that everything was going to work itself out. Y'all don't want to proceed with this. Y'all want to plea out on it. Did the lawyer try to compel you to take the? I mean, mm -mm. I mean, I'll just say that my best interest wasn't, you know, his priority. Me and him didn't get along. Mm -hmm. And. A lot of that came from my immaturity and not taking this situation seriously. Because, like, when you really think about it, man, you're like, this dude got your life in his hands, you know, mm-hmm. and you arguing with him and 
Y'all not in agreement on anything. It, it was a negative situation from the start. Three days of trial. They called a jury back. Walk me through that. When they broke for, you know, to go back and deliberate, they sent me back to the county jail, had me sit in the cell. And I was just sitting in that cell like, you know, they pretty much see that, that I didn't do this. They came back and told me that the jury wanted to listen to the victim's testimony again. Hmm. I was okay with that because the victim's testimony had changed, you know what I'm saying, a couple times. And so it was like, I didn't have a problem with that. And so when they got through deliberating and they called me back, I went in there and, and the foreman uh, read off their verdict and, and, and they found me guilty. I cried. Like, for real, man. Like, I broke down and cried, like, literally. Hmm. That's like one of the times in my life that, you know, I think back on and I still get sad about because that's when reality sit in. When does the sentence happen? I think uh, I think I got sentenced probably like a month later. And go in front of that same judge. Go in front of the same judge. Um, he asked me, did I have anything to say? I told him that that I don't feel like this was justice. You know, I told him that they had the wrong man and uh, he was making a mistake. And uh, he had the opportunity to give me the minimum, the, the middle, or the max. And he chose to give me the max. And that was 228 months, 19 years. What was your thoughts at that moment? I had none. Hmm. Just a blank? Yeah. I mean, I just got 19 years laid in my lap. Hmm. Like, here, it's yours. Coming up next on The Trouble, me and Richard talk about what it's like to spend 204 months inside the walls of a maximum security prison. And what happened when he found out that his doppelganger was inside those same walls. It's kind of crazy. That's next on The Trouble. Nineteen years. Here, hold that. Mm-hmm. Talk about the first days in prison. I was in Lance Correctional Facility. It's a prison that's close to Kansas City, probably like forty-five minutes away from Kansas City. And uh, I, I was behind the walls. I was in the maximum facility. What is maximum like? I mean, like you know, max man, you shut down. They own you twenty-four-seven. You in a one-man cell. It's just dark. They don't breed anything but negativity. You know, I can't see somebody doing maximum facility time and coming out of prison and being rehabilitated. I'll put it to you that way. What kind of inmates are in, in a maximum security prison? People with time, like a lot of time. Mm-hmm. The time I had, you see people that had murders. Mm. I mean, like life sentence is 25 years. You know, I was six years short of a life sentence for aggravated robbery. How long were you in Max for? 15 and a half, 16 years. I did majority of my time in the Max. That's all I knew. What's the day-to-day like? For one, there's like I said, there's not a lot to do. You pretty much locked down for the most part. You know, you come out, you go to the yard, you go to the chow hall to eat, you can go to the library, but even those type of things are limited. You got so like 150 people in the sale house, but it's only like <laughs> six slots on the library list. And you better, if you don't run and get it, then you ain't going to the library. How much time you can spend in the library? Man, they give you like an hour, hour and a half. I was worried about the law library. Mm-hmm. That's where I was trying to get to. 
because I was just trying to figure out what I needed to do to try to get out this situation. Because I didn't have the finances at that time to get a lawyer. But I was working on trying to get up out of there every single day. Every single day. You're seeing us a lot of time spent in the cell. But then are you able to make relationships with the other inmates? I mean, what kind of uh, connections are made in, in a maximum security prison? Well, see, you know, in prison, you have cliques, okay? Like, when I first got there, like, I couldn't even go into the, they call it the chow hall, where you eat at. Mm -hmm. And when you go in there, you couldn't even sit at any table you wanted to sit at. Because if you sat at a certain table and you wasn't a part of that, then you had a problem. What kind of problem? A serious problem. (laughs) (laughs) Richard was prepped for prison. He had been there twice already. He knew the ins and outs. He wasn't brand new. But he still found his way into his own trouble. I got caught with cell phones. It's real ironic, man, because this guy who robbed this lady, all he got was her cell phone. (laughs) How does one go about getting a cell phone? I'm always curious about it. I know it's ways to get things into prisons, you know, but at the same time, you would be talking to the outside a lot on cell phones. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, like, (laughs) well, you know, in there, man, it's like if there's a will, there's a way. Uh You, You are dealing with people that, you know, they didn't put all these knives in the drawer. You know what I'm saying? Like, Eventually, them lives are going to get sharpened up. You know what I mean? So when you in there, you don't have nothing but time to think. Of ways to you know? do something. You don't have nothing ways to do something. And that's why I say, man, you, people think that prison breeds positivity, man. But you put people that they have a certain type of mind state in a box and just give them time to do nothing but think. They're not thinking about, you know what I'm saying, becoming better as a person. They think about becoming better as and what they was already doing. A long time to think. In the real world, it's hard to take time to think when you had a freedom to do just about everything else. But in a maximum security prison, the only freedom is found in the mind. A long time to think. As time went on, and I started taking a look at myself and my life, I started to feel like, well, this is maybe where I should be. Hmm. You know, and so I started looking at things like, why are you here? You you know, you here for something that you didn't do, but are you really here for something you didn't do? Was that, I mean, like, you know? was that a moment? Because that's an interesting thought right there. It was most definitely a moment. And then I started thinking about things that, that I thought I got away with, you know what I'm saying, that I thought I didn't have to answer for. And I was sitting here like, man, now you're in prison with all this time, and you thought you got away with all this, you know what I'm saying, stuff that you did, but in reality, you didn't get away with nothing. And now, not only did you hurt, your life, you hurt in other people's lives, you know what I'm saying? Because now your kids, their father ain't there. Your girl, her man ain't there. So it's like, it was just a messy situation, man. But I had to take a look at it. Now, we all have someone who looks like us. I know I look like a lot of people. You you may never see my face, but I always get mistaken. It ain't a bad mistaken, you know. They'll be like common because I, you know, we what? got the same bald head, right? Taller with a beard, you know. So okay. I get that all the time. But uh, when did you find out you had someone look like you? The day they arrested me for this case. <laughs> Seriously, man, I'm just being honest with you because I know I didn't do it. 
So I said I had to be somebody look like me. And see, the thing about me is like a lot of people feel like light-skinned people look alike. True. And so the description of the guy was either a black guy with long hair or Mexican with long hair. I knew I looked like both. That's when it really came and like, man, they got me mistaken for somebody else. I just didn't know who. All we knew was a dude named Rick. We had no middle name, no whole first name, no last name, nothing. We just knew it was a guy named Rick because the guy who was driving the cars, that's what he said the guy named was Rick. Who told you about Ricky Amos? A whole bunch of years have passed, man. I think I was, it's probably like 15 years have passed, you know. By that time, I had filed every type of appeal possible. Every type of appeal possible, man, I filed it and was denied on all of them. And so uh, one of the guys, you know what I mean, that I had got cool with, you know, we just happened to be talking about that one day. I was standing at the cell he, he was in, and he asked me about my case. And he thought I was in there for a murder. Why did he think that? Just because how I moved. I was quiet. I'm an introvert, man, so it's like I don't talk to a lot of people. So when I'm moving, I'm moving in silence. I'm not... You know, I'm not laughing. I'm not loud. I'm not, you know, none of the, any of that. And like a lot of guys that's in prison that move like that, nine times out of ten, they're in there for murder. A lot of people just saw that I had been there for years. Because there was so many people, man, that was leaving and coming back. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're like, damn, you still here? I was like, nah, man, I'm, I'm here for aggravated robbery. You know, and I broke my case down to him. And the whole time I'm sitting there talking to him, he just got his head down. He's standing up, but he got his head down looking at the ground. Mm-hmm. And then when I finished talking, he just lifted his head and was like, man, I know who did that. And I was like, all right, man. You know, he's like, no, nah, seriously. He said, man, it's a dude named Ricky Amos. He said, you and this dude look so much alike, man. He said, I grew up with the dude. He said, that's his M.O. That's what he does, man. He, You know, he snatched purses, man. He, he just, he's grimy. He don't care. You know what I mean? And so... I kind of took it with a grain of salt at that time because I was like, okay, all right. I mean, like, I'm, I'm just like, how simple could that be? When Richard's friend told him about Ricky Amos, he didn't think too much of it. Two guys talking in a max prison, all the time in the world to create interesting doppelganger stories. But what's crazy is around the same time Richard learned about this guy who looked a lot like him named Ricky Amos, the actual Ricky Amos was serving time himself. Where? At the same prison Richard was at, Lansing Correctional Facility. A couple times guys came up and said, man, I, I thought I just saw you on the yard or I thought I saw you in the chat hall. You know, I called your name, you didn't answer, you know. And I was like, I ain't even been out this cell, you know. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying, kind of find out it was him. And just as all this is happening, The Project for Innocence and Post-Conviction Remedies at the University of Kansas had just started working on Richard's case. The Innocence Project at KU is an organization that helps prisoners who otherwise might not receive legal representation. Richard had reached out to the Innocence Project years ago, but it was just a few months before he heard the name Ricky Amos that they finally got back in contact with him. They were working on this case, but it wasn't promising. They didn't have any leads. We didn't have nothing. We was looking for a needle in a haystack. We had a description, but how many people looked like that? You know what I'm saying? It's like we had a Rick, but we had, like I said, we didn't have no last name. We didn't even know if it, if it was Ricky or just Rick. We didn't know. But that was all about the chain. A couple of interns came up and seen me. A couple of guys named Chad and Chapman that came up and seen me, and we we, we sat down and talked. 
and just the whole vibe with them was positive. I mean, like, I finally felt like I had somebody that was willing to help me, you know? And so they came up, I think this was the second time they came up, and we was wrapping up our meeting, you know, whatnot, whatnot, and it just popped in my head. I said, man, you know, I said, I need y'all to do something for me. I want y'all to go look up a, a guy named Ricky Amos and tell me what y'all could find out about him and what he looked like. And they went and did that, man, and it was like, everything changed. The first time I saw Richard Jones and Ricky Amos's picture side by side was in my living room. I saw the story on the news. I thought to myself, yeah, I get those two guys mixed up. A simple mistake gone wrong. When the news guy said that one of the guys did 17 years for what the other guy may have did, I thought, man, that's a simple mistake gone 17 years wrong. And I, and I thought to myself, I was like, man, this is crazy. Because, like, when I saw him, if I'm looking at him face to face, I don't see me. Because I know how I look. But if you saw him face to face, and you saw me face to face, you would think that these dudes look a lot alike or it's the same person. But when I saw the side angle of the dude, and mine too, like, it was crazy. Like, the same facial structure, hairlines hair, everything, man. I was like, it just made sense to me. That day, when I seen that man's picture, everything fell off me, man. You hear me? I mean, everything. From anger to resentment, all of that. It just fell off me. Up next on The Trouble, how Richard used those pictures to get himself out of the cell. 17 years late. Once Richard and his lawyers at the Innocence Project found out about Ricky Amos, more significant details came to light. Of course, the pictures and the uncanny resemblance. But the lawyers also found out that Ricky Amos was from Kansas City, Kansas. The same Kansas where the guy named Rick was picked up to score drugs. Not the other Kansas City in Missouri where Richard lived. In fact, Ricky Amos was connected to the exact location where Rick was picked up. Turns out, he lived there for a time. That was like the icing on the cake right there. We had already presented the pictures of me and Ricky Amos to the witnesses. They all changed their stories and signed affidavits, including the prosecutor, and said they felt like they made a mistake. They don't think they would have been able to pick one from the other. Everything came out. Like, everything came out. Everything except one thing. Ricky Amos denied committing the crime. The statute of limitation had passed by this time, so nothing could have happened to Ricky if he admitted to it, but he still didn't budge. Alice Craig, Richard's lawyer, said there's a chance Ricky Amos doesn't even remember. The three people in the car had reportedly been smoking crack all day the day of the crime. They picked up that guy named Rick to smoke more crack. And also it was 18 years ago. Would you remember stealing a purse 18 years ago? Yeah, I guess I would. <laughs> but in the end, they didn't even need Ricky Amos to say he did it to get Richard out. When I went back to court, all the evidence was presented to the judge from the photo lineup to the witnesses' statements. And um, he ruled that it wasn't a proper case. It wasn't properly investigated. And I should have never been prosecuted for that case. According to the Innocence Project, 
between 2 to 5% of inmates are innocent. It doesn't sound like a lot, does it? Sounds like an acceptable rate of error, probably for proofreading, order picking for Amazon, red light cameras at Chicago's intersections. But imagine being one of the 5% wrongly convicted. I mean, there's more than 2.3 million people incarcerated in the U.S. 5% of that is a pretty big number. That's over 100,000 innocent people sitting in a cell with no understanding. Like Richard. The Innocence Project says it typically takes 7 to 10 years to exonerate an innocent prisoner. For Richard Jones, it took 17 years. So tell me about June 8th, 2017, the day you were released from prison. Everything I was going through was surreal because I didn't really think that I was going to get out. The whole time during my hearing, my lawyer was telling me, you know, she's like, I think you're going to be released today. And I'm like, okay, well... I believe it when I see it, you know what I mean? Like so I you were just steady. Uh-huh. You was you you didn't know. I had to be, man. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, like I done been let down too many times, you mm-hmm. know, and got my hopes up and seventeen years have passed. You know, what could possibly happen, man? You know, I mean like I didn't have a lot of hope. I ain't gonna I'm just gonna be honest with you, you know. I prepared myself for the worst. Getting released from prison isn't as simple as smacking a gavel and immediately walking free. There's this thing called processing and paperwork which if you've already waited 204 months, even a few extra minutes can feel like a sentence. When the judge ordered me released, and it still didn't set in, because I was like, man, it was just crazy. And so, <laughs> for real, man, because I just think I'm tripping off of it right now because like when they brought me back, because I had to get processed out. But the thing about me getting processed out of penitentiary, when, when the judge gave his ruling, it was after business hours. So we had to wait till the next morning for them to get it, process so it. You I, had to I, had to, I had to stay the night, you hear me? And so <laughs> I was kind of upset about that, you know what I mean? I was like, man, look, I need to get up out of here. The next day, that's when I started getting frustrated because I'm like, hey, man, where is these papers at? How late in the day? Two or three. So who met you? you you're free to go. Right. What's that experience? Man, like before I walked out, it was a lady deputy to walk me out and she was like, well, I can let you out the back because it's a lot of news reporters. And I was like, I want everybody to see me walk up out of there. You know what I mean? Because this is the same place that I walked up in. And when I walked up in there, I had handcuffs on and they was, and they had charged me with aggravated robbery. But now I was walking out of here, a free man and they the guilty ones. We are back with a case of mistaken identity that forced a man to spend 17 years behind bars serving time for an armed robbery he says he did not commit. He is free now after discovering another prisoner. Everybody has a twin, right? To see these two men, it's like looking in a mirror, except they never met, though they were both housed in the same prison. After years of pleading... This morning, a man who says he was wrongfully convicted, imprisoned for 17 years, now free after tracking down his own doppelganger. No DNA, no fingerprints, no physical evidence, just testimony. Enough to get a conviction and a sentence of 19 It was only after a group of law students took his case and this side-by-side picture of Richard Jones and Ricky Amos to prosecutors that he got to experience this freedom. When I came out and I seen all these people just news reporters out there and everything 
The Innocence Project was there. My daughter, my granddaughter. Is this your first time meeting your grandkids? Yeah, it's my first time meeting my granddaughter. That was like the main one of the main things I was looking forward to meeting my granddaughter because that was my first grandkid. So I went in there. I ain't had no gray hairs, man. I come out. I got gray hairs. I look like a grandfather. <laughs> you know, she she's the first person I picked up and held. You know what I'm saying? And, and I did an interview holding her. So it was like it was a beautiful experience to me, man, because I felt the love, man. You know what I mean? So man, I hadn't felt that in a long time. Did you feel like that had came a little late? 17 years on a 19-year sentence? I mean, I do, you know. Um, but all I know is if the judge would have denied me that day, we wouldn't be talking. Do you ever imagine, like, do you ever think about, like, where you would be if you hadn't served those 17 years? I'd be dead, you know what I'm saying? I'd be dead. Really? Yeah. Before I got incarcerated, I had no regard for anything. I was in the streets. I felt like I was already on the road of destruction. And so that whole prison situation, man, that saved my life because it gave me an opportunity to grow up in a lot of ways. When you in that cell, man, you ain't got nothing but time to think and look at yourself. That's mm-hmm. it. And if you don't, the way I look at it, if I hadn't grew and matured, then it would have been all for nothing. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I refuse to let that be all for nothing because too many people suffered in it. Mm-hmm. For me, it was either do or die. So I took that situation that was a negative from the beginning and I turned it into a positive and I made it benefit me for as my mind state, emotional, spiritual. You know, I got closer to God. So many things happened while I was there that probably wouldn't have happened, you know, if, if I hadn't been there. Did you talk to God about that? Every day. What would that conversation be like? All I did was ask for forgiveness everything I've done, all the mistakes I made for the people I hurt. I'm trying to be better, you know, but sometimes the situation does weigh heavy on me and it gets the best of me and I get mad about things, you know. So since I've been home, you know, since it ain't all been happiness, you know, I have my days because I'm starting over. I mean, from scratch. I came home, I had no clothes, nothing, man. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing, nothing. What are you doing now as a free man? Being a free man, <laughs> now I'm just living, man, you know what I mean, spending time, you know what I'm saying, with my family. I'm still adjusting and trying to get to where I need to be in life. But that's even hard, man, because I'm still on parole. Really? Ain't that crazy? I'm on parole from Kansas. See, while I was there, like I said, I got caught with a cell phone. They charged me oh, with the cell phone. I got you. They gave me 12 more months, but they didn't run it concurrently. They run it consecutively. So when this case was dismissed... They gave me time served for that case and started me on parole. But how can I caught that phone case if I hadn't been incarcerated for a crime I didn't commit? I wasn't supposed to be there. But I deal with it. I did that. I got caught with the cell phone. You know, so I take that on the chin. You know what I mean? So, I, I, you know, any mistake I make, I pay for it. 17 years. It's the time it takes for a newborn to grow and be considered an adult. In that time, the world changed, and Richard missed it. In the last 17 years, planes crashed into the towers. Facebook reintroduced high school crushes. New Orleans flooded. The first black president was elected, then re-elected. High school crushes divorced, 
because one of them was cheating on an app called Tinder. All the babies have grown up, and some have babies of their own. But the most important thing that Richard missed over 17 years is life as a free man. And whose fault is that? So you, you ask God for forgiveness. Do you feel like you deserve any apologies? I'll say it to you like this. Regardless of what I feel like I deserve, if they don't feel like I deserve apology, then that just lets you know where they're at. But the person who I do feel kind of a certain way towards was Tamara Sheard. Because how much does it take? You know, she can call my lawyers or the prosecutor and say, well, you know, I would like to talk to him. I don't want anything from her but an apology. Hmm. Like I said, I hate that that happened to her. I don't condone that, and especially in front of her daughter. But she knows what she did, and I feel like she can at least try to get in contact with me and let me know that she made a mistake. But I don't hold no grudges. I ain't mad. Mad for what? I can't get it back. I might as well just say, hell, man, I'm done, you know. But with me, I, I, I never give up. You know what I mean? So it's like I've been through too much in my life to give up. It can't all be for nothing, man. And so it's like when I when I finally leave this earth, I want people to at least, you know, when they think about me, you know what I'm saying, they don't think about something negative, you know. And so I've always told myself, man, it's up to me how many people come to my funeral. And I mean that. When Richard told us that he wished Tamara had reached out to him, that he wanted to talk to her, we decided to try and track her down. We found her. In part two of this doppelganger story, Tamara's side of things. I had a hand in it. I had a big hand in it. Like I said, you can't say, oh, sorry. You know, it doesn't work like that. And what happens when they finally sit down to talk for the first time? I don't know what I'm going to say to him. I don't know. That's in Doppelganger Part 2. The Trouble is a production of WBZ Chicago. I'm Shannon Kaysen. The producer is Candace Mattel-Khan. The senior producer is Joe Dassault. Our intern is B. Aldridge. And executive producers are Joel Meyer and Brendan Benazak. We're looking for other stories of trouble, and I want to talk to you. Get in touch. We're at The Trouble Pod on Twitter, or you can shoot us a note at thetroublepod at gmail.com. Tell me about the shit you gotten yourself into and how you got out of it, or not. <laughs> Subscribe to The Trouble on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to these things. And do me a favor. Try to stay out of it.